Hello and welcome back to Sense and Sensitivity. I'm Cece Shia and I'm here with my co-host. Hannah Stella, hi. And we are here to talk about everything dating in New York, in big cities, our own experiences, your Q&As, really just a lot of reminiscing and reflecting about this weird thing that we all have to do. Well, not all of us, but like a lot of us do and that we spend inordinate amounts of time thinking about. But yeah, Hannah, first, how was your weekend? It was good. It was pretty chill, but it was really good. How was yours? You had a big weekend. Oh my God. Yeah. It was probably the most hectic weekend of my life. So on Thursday, I went up to New Haven to go to my 10-year college reunion, went and did reunion activities up until Saturday, had to go catch a plane to Baltimore and then do a wedding and then came back Sunday and then went to All Day I Dream, which was at Brooklyn Mirage. So I am absolutely exhausted right now, but like in a good way. It's like a very uplifting, heart is full, spent a lot of time with friends weekend kind of way. That's great. I am on a break from drinking, which I realized that I hadn't taken a real break since like before COVID, which is very bad. Or it was very bad for me. And I feel like I'm just in such a transitional time and I've been so emotional. Not like, I think I've been kind of overreacting to things just because I have so many feelings right now. And it was like a good time for me to take a break. And I have been shocked by how easy it is. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Especially with, so I have been trying to not drink at home because I love my red wine at home. But after all the studies came out about how bad drinking is for you, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I have to like put a pin in this somehow. And ended up going to Boisson and buying like so many non alcoholic stuff. Yeah, I literally have like a Boisson store in my kitchen right now. It's like the only thing in my kitchen. But it's great because I I find the same thing. I find that I like kind of the ritual of sitting by myself and having a drink and reading a book or taking a bath or whatever. But I found it very easy and just as relaxing to replace it with non-alcoholic substitutes. Some people would say like, well, you shouldn't need the ritual. And I I just think that's stupid. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think if you feel like something about the ritualistic behavior is bad for you, then that's fine. But I think as a as a normative statement, it's just kind of dumb. Like what's, what's so bad about having a little grape juice in the bath every night? Yeah. And humans are ritualistic, right? Like we like rituals. I think it's fine to have them. We just have to make sure that they're not like self-destructive in any way. And okay. So my question for you is I like a lot of the non-alcoholic stuff. Like I found athletic brewing is like such a good non-alcoholic beer company, but like a medium full-bodied red, which is like usually my favorite, I cannot find a good substitute non-alcoholic for those. And like, I have tried maybe like three different types now. I like the Gieson and I like there's a South African brand that starts with an L that they have at Boisson also. I found they're both pretty good. I think that the trick with the red wine to me is that even though normally you would drink it sort of room temperature, a little below room temperature, and that's to do with the non-alcoholic stuff on the bottle. I found that actually with like a little more chill, it has a little more of like the mouthfeel that you'd expect, but it's not a perfect substitute. I mean, it's just not going to taste exactly the same. That's always the hard part. And I've asked the people who work at Boisson to be like, hey, when do you think it's going to get better? And I do think the white wines have gotten better, but they're still kind of behind on the red wines. And I'm really hoping that with 
the sober curious movements and like all of us trying to drink a little bit less, they will really ramp up the R&D on red wine because once they get that, I don't know, then that, that like my ritual is complete. Yeah, I don't know exactly the perfect one. I've been drinking a few of them. I've only tried those two and I thought that they were both pretty good. But the only other non-alcoholic wine I'd previously had was literally so horrible. I can't remember which one it was, but I think it was like by Barefoot or something. And it was extremely bad. So I was pleasantly surprised by both. Yeah. I mean, I do think the technology is getting there. It's getting better. And one can hope that this time next year, we'll be sipping on our non-alcoholic red wines and it'll just taste like normal. Totally. And today we're talking about dating, which neither of us are doing. (laughs) But before we go into our main topic for this episode, our next episode will kind of be another advice to listeners episode. So any advice about living, breathing, existing in the city, big cities, New York in particular, feel free to send them via email. We have like our email in the show notes, listener voicemails, or we'll also be doing Instagram stories and you can kind of send us a DM at any time. So make sure to do that for any advice stuff next time. But before that, we have a lot of stuff to talk about dating this time. Yes. I love dating. Did you like dating when you were dating? So I feel like I had like a love-hate relationship with dating where like in high school, I really, really enjoyed it. And then in college, I got way too in my head about dating and it became so much more. And this was like after a disastrous breakup where I think I like it reoriented my perspective towards dating. In high school, it was about just like having fun, like learning about other people, learning about myself. And then in college, all of a sudden switched to like finding a life partner. And I was so stressed all the time about finding a life partner that I never enjoyed dating. Like I would go on dates and I think I should have enjoyed them, but they were just not fun. And it took a while for me to like kind of recapture what I liked about dating again. But I do think it's very common when people, you know, first start dating or even as they're dating to somehow get in their head about it all and it becomes not fun again. Yeah, I think that's incredibly common. I think most people do not like dating. I've always thought it was really fun, but I in my head less than I should be. So (laughs) maybe that's my problem. No, but I think that's the right attitude to have about dating. So like, why did you always like dating? And why do you think you've never gotten like in your head about like, oh my God, where is this going? And just way too anxious about it. Two things. First of all, I think of dating and like a relationship as a little bit of a different thing. I have definitely got in way too in my head about where is this going when I've been dating somebody for a while. To me, if you've been on like more than three or four dates, even if you're still dating other people, you're kind of in a relationship with that person. And I've definitely gotten way too in my head at that stage and gone a little, a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for sure. (laughs) But I think that in like the early stage of dating and just like going on first dates and second dates, it's like, okay, you get to get dressed up. You get to go somewhere that like maybe you wouldn't usually go and do a new activity and you get to talk to somebody. And if it's not going well, or I I never put that much pressure on dates before they happen. Just, I was always very good at like, not sort of, not that I never like looked people up online, which by the way, I have a strong double standard. It is a safety measure for women to look up and figure out as much about a man before they go out with them as they can. But men should not like look into women. That is creepy behavior to me. (laughs) 
I was really good about not sort of thinking like, oh, this person seems this way on paper or from our conversation. So it's going to be great. And I think it's just kind of an opportunity to be silly, if that makes sense. Like, of course, you want to take it seriously and take the connection seriously in a sense, depending upon what your goals are for dating. But you can just, it's so sort of low pressure because there's always going to be another person until you find somebody that you really connect with. And so I would just ask people like the goofiest questions or like the most heavy questions. I don't know. I just, I just always thought it was fun. It's like you get to meet so many different kinds of people and have this very unique conversation with them where you can kind of get personal very quickly in a way that's pretty socially inappropriate in another sense. Like if you go and sit down with somebody in a business setting, you can't be like, so what parts of your last relationship do you think ending do you think were your fault? But that is something I would ask somebody on a first date. And in my experience, men, as long as you ask it with like a smile and in like a silly way, they will tell you all of the tea. They will tell you their whole trauma history and they'll think it's so like silly and so charming that you asked them that. Oh my God. Okay. I can totally see that. I think that's probably the right attitude to take towards dating is to view it as like a fun, silly thing. And where I kind of lost the thread on dating was when it's also really prevalent in my entire life, which is like, I like having fun, but I I sometimes find it really, really hard to have fun because I'm always just like thinking about how can I be productive? How can I like advance my career in certain ways? How can I like get ahead? And it makes being in the moment and being like, oh, this is a fun thing, hard to embody even when I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun. And sometimes I like, I look around and I'm like, oh yeah, this should be fun, but I'm not having fun. And I think dating, especially first dates, second dates, where I wasn't sure where it was going, if it didn't go anywhere, I would be like, well, that wasn't fun because it didn't go anywhere. And that's a very actually toxic mentality to all of it. Because like you mentioned, I got good stories out of it. You do get weird people acting weird or like saying strange things. And those are objectively fun. But I think I just was just like way too caught up in this. Where is it going? If it's not going anywhere, then it's a waste of time that it was even impossible to have fun. But you're right. It's like, and I think that's what I liked about it in high school is that I was still so new to dating and kind of like exploring my sexuality, all of that, that I did kind of use it as an excuse maybe to just punk people to be like, oh, how weird can I act and still have them like me? That was really how I acted in high school. And I thought that was so fun. Like you mentioned, these strange questions. Yeah, exactly. It's just so fun. And I want to say I'm not immune to that. If I have a third date or something where I think that there's potential, like I'm not immune to kind of feeling that early in a new relationship, like where will it go? Can we skip ahead pressure? I just think that dating and first dates and second dates are so much fun. And I actually think that I've maybe had more fun in terms of lighthearted, silly fun with myself on dates that didn't go well in like a, this isn't a match way than I have on dates that were early dates that then like led to something serious. Cause I do agree that kind of pressure can start to build, but I never felt, I don't know. I suppose I'm like, well, I didn't have anything better to do this evening. I would feel bad the same way if I like didn't go to my friend's birthday party to go on a first date, but I wouldn't do that personally. And so I just kind of am like, oh, it was like an interview with like a mysterious stranger. 
Yeah, yeah. And not just an interview, but a chance to learn more about how other people think dating is, because I think sometimes how people present on dates is also much more a reflection of how they think dating should be. And that's fascinating. Like I actually do. I what back in the day I was like on OkCupid and I don't know if you remember OkCupid, but like you can do really, really long written things about yourself. And I actually just enjoyed like reading what people wrote about themselves when it was so long because in every single paragraph you know that they're trying to like convey something right they're trying to say something about who they are and the ways in which they pick that oh my god in law school we actually like found one of the professor's okay cupid profiles yeah we sent that around to everyone and in retrospect i'm like that's a little mean but also it was so enjoyable to like see how this very he was like I think the youngest professor to get tenure at HLS or something, but we just passed that profile around and it was like fascinating to see what he wanted to present about himself in a dating sense rather than like the professorial sense. Yeah, it feels kind of a little dirty, a little naughty in a fun way. I had not exactly the same, but I took a summer class one time and the professor was also a writer and he had a lot of writer friends. It was an English course and he brought in some of his friends to come talk about their books and like lecture the class. And he had forwarded us an email chain where he was confirming with his friend that they would be coming to lecture in our class. But the email chain before that was them going back and forth about like recent breakups and they were both writers. So they were like, talking about how there was like a metaphor about how the guy that he'd been dating was like a bass drum, but like he was a flute and like all of this stuff. And it was so, I did show a couple of my friends. It didn't like go viral. It didn't get forwarded like crazy, but I was like, this is such an interesting peek into this person's like intimate side. Absolutely. And it's a peek that I think Apart from talking about dating, there's not a lot of opportunities to talk about our feelings as much, right? There's not a lot of lenses through which we can talk about our emotions because usually the most emotional things in our lives are like family, which we can talk about, but I think there's it's like less fun sometimes to talk about and usually a lot more associated with trauma, whereas like dating is a bit more lighthearted and therefore acceptable to talk about through this lens of emotion. So yeah, I think it's a great way to understand more about yourself and to just have a little fun with the fact that, yeah, humans are silly. Humans are ritualistic. Like, yeah, rituals make no sense, but like, that's who we are. So might as well lean into it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you have to be judgmental just to be kind of silly about somebody and their preferences being different than yours or them kind of saying like over the top things. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like recognizing your own silliness in dating as you go through. Okay, I'm going to start by talking about how horrible of a dater I was. But when I was 21 in New York, I was doing my summer internship and I really, really wanted to go to like, have you heard of Sleep No More? Mm -hmm. Interactive theater performance. So I, I had read about it and I was like obsessed with going, but I didn't know who of my friends wanted to go. I was also pretty poor at that time. So I was like, well, I don't know if I can spend like a hundred some dollars per theater ticket. So I ended up going out with a guy and it was like a not a great first date, but it was okay. And at the end, I think we were like both on the subway and I was about to get out and I was, okay, great. Had a fun time. And I had mentioned sleep no more. And he was just like, oh yeah, let's go to that. And I was like, okay, bye. And I just like ran out of the subway. And then I was, oh my God, I think I just committed to a second date with this guy. 
where we go to sleep no more. But I wanted to do sleep no more like the way I wanted to do it, which was like by yourself. And they kind of tell you in these interactive theater experiences, it's best if you do it by yourself. But I was like, it's also a second day where we're supposed to spend time with each other, right? And I was so confused about what to do, but also so selfish at that time that we met up at the very beginning for this date and he had gotten tickets. It was very nice of him. I forgot his name, but if you're if you're this lawyer dude who's listening right now, thank you so much for getting tickets and thank you for a lovely date. And I'm so sorry that I was so shitty back in the day. I think I was just a 21-year-old shitty person. But also, I think if you're like a lawyer dating a 21-year-old, you kind of have to expect a little bit of that craziness and like uncertainty, right? Yeah, I'm on your side of this. I think it's fine. I, I think that you were fine to be selfish and you were fine to let this lawyer pay $80 for your ticket. It's fine. He was the problem. You were going out with a college girl. Like, what were you thinking? Anyway, alas, we get to the venue and we're at that part, like where you get drinks before you go in. And I'm just, well, I want this experience to be how I want it to be. So I basically am like, okay, I heard this was a lot better if we go by ourselves. Bye. And I just run. And I just like leave him. And I'm like, see you at the end. And that was it. And I was like, man, Cece, that is not a good way to date. It's not very compassionate, but that is totally how I did it. And he kind of let me do that too. And it wasn't like a fun date, but it was still a fun experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually feel like from the sort of knowledge of TikTok dating experts, I feel like he would be more into you because you did that. I think he did ask me out again after that. Probably because it seemed like I just had my own life and my own will, Mm -hmm. which is honestly an attractive quality, no matter who. Yeah, exactly. So you did everything right. (laughs) Great. Yes. Except for the fact that I didn't like him that much. So in the end, it didn't help with that part. And I think that's the part we must always keep in mind is that we are dating for fun, but also dating to find someone that you like. And I think sometimes in the chaos of dating, you kind of forget that's also about finding someone that you like, may want to spend more time with. Totally. What is some common dating advice that you disagree with? I think is that advice. Oh God. Yeah. So I was like a huge reading all those books about dating in my, in my twenties, especially in college. So like read Why Men Love Bitches, The Rules. I read this blog called The Rules Revisited. And it was written by this guy whom like I trusted so much. I even wrote into him multiple times with like my own dating help things. And the thing that his blog really advocated was like, if you want a man to maintain interest, you cannot have sex with him. And like, I staunchly believe that for so long and kind of like navigated my dating around that rule that I think it just like wasn't ever fun. And then like sex was this weird bargaining chip rather than a fun shared experience or like something else. And now that I'm older, I'm like, that was stupid. It took years to unlearn this viewing of sex as a bargaining chip rather than like sex as a fun shared experience. And I don't know, that's not a good outlook on life. What about you? I have a couple. One. A couple? A couple. I think I have three. Well, one is just kind of a myth. And I've talked about this before, but I think that when I was in my 20s and I was dating, I felt like the clock was ticking that at like 25 years old, my desirability was going to peak. And then it was kind of like downhill from there and nobody of quality would be interested in me. And I did meet my husband, my ex-husband, when I just turned 25. 
And now with my brief toe dip into the dating pool again, that is not true. It's not good advice. I mean, if you find somebody when you're 25 that you're going to be happy with, I thought that I would. I, I don't mean like I was 25. I met this guy and I was like, well, it's the end. I'll settle. Like I did. I did very authentically believe that my ex-husband was going to be the person that I would be with for the rest of my life. And I, I at that time couldn't ever envision a different future than that. But I think that pressure was was incorrect. And I think that as you get older, you actually find that you know more what you want and men know more what they want. And it's not true that like sort of your quality options stop in your mid twenties. In fact, I have had many better in number and better sort of quality all around men interested in me now than I did when I was a little bit younger. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think because I also felt the same way. And I think that's why I was so panicked college and early law school to find a partner. And that's why I think dating was so miserable during that time. Because I was like, oh my God, once I turn 25, I'll turn back into a pumpkin or something. Get Cinderella, the clock struck midnight, and now I'm a pumpkin again. And I do think you know, seeing my friends day, just seeing who I interact with on a day to day basis, as I get older, I'm like, no, that is false. And you learn a lot more about just like, how to be yourself and how to present yourself to someone else. And other people are a lot better about what they want and have more interesting life experience to share rather than like, I think when I was like dating in 23, what did we like to do? We like to drink and go out. And I'm like, that's not enough to form a shared anything. Right. Totally. And then another one that I have that I think is a real hot take. And so I'm interested in your perspective on it. Actually going kind of the opposite direction of early dating is fun. I think that there is a point kind of early on where you both think that you really like each other and want to pursue something between like dates three and five. But where everybody says right now, like, keep a roster, like, don't commit too early. And I actually really think that it's good. I don't think that committing to being monogamous means committing if you want a monogamous relationship, which I know not everybody does. But if you want a monogamous relationship, I don't think that committing to being monogamous early on is that serious of a commitment. And I think that for my personality and my disposition, I would rather on like the third or fourth date, say like, okay, let's give this a try. Let's not date anybody else for a while. And then even like a week or two later, we can decide to stop dating to just eliminate that anxiety and jealousy that in my personal experience can persist throughout the relationship of this kind of insecurity about who else the other person was dating sort of early on. So I, I always kind of advocate for at least trying out kind of committing, not committing to be in a relationship forever, committing to giving this a try earlier rather than later. Do you tell them that you're committing? Are you doing DTR earlier? Or is it more of like a mental commitment to yourself that you can then, I don't know, take away? I tell them I will not go out with you again if you're dating anybody else. Ah, interesting. I say like, I think there's potential here and I think we should give it a try. I've always thought that DTR was kind of dumb. All these sort of micro steps of we're talking, now we're dating, now we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Those are all kind of equivalent to me. That doesn't really matter. 
to me. If it matters to you, then that's fine. Do what works for you. But yeah, I'll tell somebody usually on the date, on the third or fourth date, like I see some potential here. I think we should give it a go. But if you want to keep dating other people, then I'm not going to keep dating you. And I've never had that for me go poorly. Yeah. So, you know, this is another you say is hot take because I do think 22 year old Cece would have been you Hannah like why would you ever do that you have to wait for the man to make the first gesture or initiative with taking this to a more serious level but you know now I'm 32 so (laughs) much time has passed and I definitely kind of agree with you I like the intermediate steps too because I think I hate committing to something so fully so early on. But I do think it's always good to bring up earlier what you are looking for and telling them where you're standing. And this is what I kind of expect from you at this stage. And if they don't like that, then they can tell you too. And it's a good precursor to just like the type of communication that you even need in a relationship to make sure that it thrives, right? And I think this is by avoiding this conversation, of course, we shouldn't be surprised when there are so many communication issues between couples later on because they kind of just wait for like the other person to say something or to read their mind. And that's just not realistic at all. Totally. And I think it's also a little bit dispositional in a sense. I don't consider dating somebody monogamously for a few weeks. Like literally we could decide we were going to see where it goes on our fourth date. And then after our sixth date, be like, no, I don't really think of that as a huge commitment. I think I'm kind of in between in that sense. I think of moving in together or getting engaged as a big commitment. But I think dating and not dating other people for a while, even if that's a year or two, I just don't think of that as such a huge sort of heavy commitment for me personally. But if it is for you, then like, don't do it. I think sometimes we put too much weight on these steps as societally. I've heard friends when I was younger be really mean to each other about you're exclusive, but he's not your boyfriend. And I'm like, that's so dumb. Those are the same thing. And so why are we putting all this pressure to like go through this script of these steps? I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I feel like I need to be a frog in a boiling pot because I hate the first sign of pressure or commitment. I'm just like, I'm out of here. So you kind of have to turn it up slowly for me. So I like that there is like such a thing as exclusive before boyfriend because the term boyfriend just like freaks me out in such a way. But yeah, you're right. It's all just terminology. But getting on the same page about terminology with your whoever your person is that you're talking to at that point is an important step. You have to talk to each other at some point and who cares what the terminology is as long as you guys are on the same page. And this was actually like something that me and Nathaniel really struggled with in the beginning before we were dating in DC for a little bit and I was going back to law school. So, you know, leaving and we were having such a good time that I had to be like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go back to Cambridge soon. And do you see this going anywhere? And he interpreted it as, do you see us becoming boyfriend, girlfriend right now? So he told me no, but I actually just meant, do you see a future at all for us? But that just got totally lost in translation. And that lacking communication on that front led to us like breaking up for a few months because I was, well, I don't want this. And he was like, well, I don't want to be your boyfriend. And I was like, but I don't want a boyfriend. It was a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. What would have been the difference? For him, I think it was like he had just been dating other people too. So he was like, my interpretation of that question, if other people had asked me that, would have been, will you make an exclusive commitment to me right now? And I was like, but that doesn't make sense. I wouldn't even want that. But it's whatever your default 
reception to those questions are kind of says a lot more about you than what the question actually is from the other person, right? And then it's kind of like incumbent upon you both to talk through that. And I think the act of talking through that is important more so than the actual like question terminology, exclusive boyfriend, monogamous, all of that. Totally. So we asked some people on Instagram, et cetera, to just ask for some stuff that they wanted us to talk about. And so we're going to go over some of those things that everybody was kind of interested in, starting with how do you find the confidence to start dating, especially in like a big city where it's just infinite options? Yeah, this one's hard because I feel like I never have the confidence to do anything. So I'm much more interested in what you would say. Like for me, it would just be like necessity almost. I want my life to look a certain way. So do I like studying for the SAT? No. Did I have to to go to college? Yes. And that was my attitude towards dating. Yeah, I'm on kind of both sides of this because I I agree with you. I think that I always tell people you know, ask yourself what you want and then focus on getting what you want. And I say, you know, you can have anything you want. You can't have everything you want. And so if you want a husband really bad, I do think that you should put effort into finding a good husband and the right husband. But I, I think that sometimes you have to jump before you're, before you're ready. But I also think it is okay to ask yourself why you feel insecure and why you don't want to date at this time. And I don't think that you need to be the perfect version of yourself to find a partner. I think that you can find a partner kind of at any stage. But I also think that confidence is attractive. And I think that it's okay to say, you know what, I don't feel great about where I am in my career or where I am from a fitness perspective or where I am in terms of like my apartment. And I want to take a few months and like, work on that thing and get to a place, not even where I necessarily feel that I've reached the level that I want to reach, but where I feel proud of the progress that I'm making toward my goals. And then to use the confidence that comes from progress to start dating. I don't think there's any shame in saying I'm not in the place that I want to be to meet the partner that I want to meet. Yeah. I really love that actually like confidence from progress because I think that's the part that always tripped me up is that I would always be like, okay, well, you know, I don't have XYZ in order. I don't have like ABC in order. I don't know. I haven't folded my laundry. And like that one thing, I would just fixate on that. And then all of a sudden your confidence in dating goes down because you're like, I'm not perfect. So therefore, how could anyone love me? And it's still something I really, really try to work on to this day. But you're right in that it's much better to be confident about your progress and the trajectory and to use that as the baseline for confidence in life. Thanks. Yeah, no, love it. Love it. I'm like, Hannah, you should have been my therapist when I was like 22, because that's exactly the type of stuff I needed to hear. Instead, my actual therapist was like so unhelpful. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of pressure right now. And I think it's coming from a good place to say, no, feel good no matter what. Like you can be with anybody and you can do anything no matter what. And and that's sort of true, but you're not going to present yourself the best on dates when you don't feel good. Even if those differences, those changes would be completely imperceptible to the people that you're dating when you don't feel good about where you are. And I think that feeling good about where you are is feeling good, as I was saying, about the path that you're on. I think that that makes such a difference in how you present yourself. And so I I think it's not wrong to find the confidence from not really external things because it's still you, it's still your life, but to find the confidence from things that aren't dating related. Yep. 
Yep. So, okay, let me ask you, do you think this like perspective is aided by the fact that you are now in a period where you're kind of dating after divorce or like how else has your perspective changed about dating after a divorce or a big, big breakup? I think my overall perspective has changed very little, but it's hard for me to know exactly what has shifted over the course of my last few years. You know, I started giving some sort of dating and relationship advice online when people would ask me while I was married. But some of that advice was also based on things that I wish I'd done slightly differently. And I don't know how to explain where and when those differences happened. I think from a relationship perspective, the number one thing that I have done historically that I'm going to be very, very careful not to do anymore is to not set any precedence for the first year that I don't think I can do for 20 years. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Like, what's an example? So this is an example and it's not an example from my life. This isn't something that I did. But if I was dating somebody who needs to pick up their dry cleaning every Tuesday before 8 a.m., I would never pick up their dry cleaning unless I was willing to get up at 6 a.m. every Tuesday for the rest of my life and go pick up their dry cleaning. Okay. I don't mean never. I don't mean never. I don't mean like one time there's a situation. I mean, I would not sort of take on that chore and that responsibility if I didn't think that I could continue to do it because I think it's so difficult to redefine those things. And that's a small example. But, you know, for example, like if you in your marriage and in your long-term relationship want to split the cooking and you don't want to be the only one to cook, you should not, in my opinion, be the only one to cook for the first six months. It's too difficult to go back and correct that stuff. By correct, I mean rebalance. I don't mean that there's anything wrong with one person cooking. Yeah. Do you think ever that that could be addressed through just talking about it? Or do you think the gravity of habits in those smaller things are just so strong that even talking about it won't move the needle? I think that the examples that I'm giving maybe seem small, but I think that when you set a precedent of a dynamic, especially when it's doing things for your partner or paying for things for your partner, or giving a certain amount of verbal affirmation for your partner, I think that a lot of the time that becomes a fundamental part of the relationship where when you try and talk about it and try to correct it, people can feel very neglected and rejected. And I think that it can be difficult. I don't think that it's an issue that cannot be fixed. I think it is an issue that I'm hopeful that in the future, in my relationships, the fixes will be more small tweaks because I think that that is easy, right? Like I think if you are happy to use just the cooking example, if you're happy to kind of do all of the cooking and then you have two kids and you realize now with the kids, it's too much cooking. I think it's a lot easier to say like, okay, this is too much cooking. We need to order in once or twice a week, or I need you to be responsible for dinner, whether that's cooking or ordering dinner once or twice a week. I think that's a pretty simple tweak and rebalance. 
But I think conversely, if your partner is used to you always cooking for them and then you start to kind of feel like, oh my gosh, the burden of kind of being expected to do this act all of the time is really weighing on me. And you say, you know, I am sick of cooking all the time. I need you to start to cook half of the time that that can be more of a difficult issue. And these are of course like made up examples. So it's difficult to explain exactly what I'm saying, but I think that there's a difference between setting like a strong precedent and relationships evolving. And I also agree that if you set a precedent, it's not something that can't be worked through in a relationship, but I think it's a difficult enough issue to work through and one that seems simple enough to avoid that it's something that I want to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. So it's funny because they're in like in early divorce cases, there were people who filed for divorce under the auspices of the fact that like, you know, I thought I was marrying someone and then we got married and then all of a sudden it turns out they are a slob or like they are like something else entirely. And I do think your guideline of like, you know, not doing something in the first year that you wouldn't be happy doing forever or for 20 years is a variation upon that theme because you should be like at a relative baseline happy with the dynamic rather than trying to do things to make yourself more appealing to the other person because you think that's what they want and you think that's what society has told you you should be to be a good partner. But in your heart of hearts, it's like not what you actually want to be. So I think I felt this tension a lot because I hate cooking. I'm like, I'm not I mean, I can do it. I do it. But like, I don't like doing it. But so much of the early dating rules, etc. They're always like, if you're a woman, you should totally make meals and bake and all of that. And if I did that to try and make myself more like, quote unquote, appealing in a relationship, I would end up having like a terrible 20 years 30 years thereafter, because all of a sudden, you're right, it's like I did kind of set a bad precedent for how everything is. And a lot of it, I think, is also just like getting in touch with who you want to be in a relationship and like the dynamic that you want and to kind of lean into that from the very beginning, rather than trying to be like this overly helpful person who has like no desires or guardrails of your own. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it also kind of comes down to communication as well. I'm thinking about this kind of even communication about your expectations of gratitude, which I think can be very difficult for people to express. You know, I think there's like a saying that men get married thinking that their wives will never change and then they do. And women get married hoping that their husbands will change and then they don't. And I think that what happens often in some of my relationships and also dynamics I've seen with my friends, it's like they're doing all of this stuff to support their partner. And I can only speak from a woman's perspective. I'm not close friends with any heterosexual men and I'm not a gay man or a gay woman. And so I don't feel comfortable speaking to the perspective of those relationships But I think that, you know, a lot of women are like, oh, okay, at some point he'll notice how much work I'm doing, how much emotional effort I'm putting into this, how much I'm accommodating. And it's not even that they're not happy to keep doing it. It's that they're not happy to keep being taken for granted. 
And I do think that that can be part of the dynamic as well. But yeah, it's just something that I'm pretty determined not to have be a part of my future relationships. Yeah. It's also applicable, okay, in the workplace, because I do think if you end up being like the employee who's always taking notes at meetings, right, then like you fall into that role, even though like being the employee who's always taking notes at the meetings isn't always necessarily the best role for your career advancement. And I've seen so many people, especially women, right, fall into those kinds of roles. And it just like, you have to kind of create this you want to be helpful. So like, yes, do it sometimes, but you can't fall into a role that does not serve you overall, whether in a relationship or like definitely in the workplace, you can't be the party planner all the time. You can't be like, I don't know, the therapist to everyone else all the time, because that is not necessarily a role that's going to help you. And no one is going to be like, oh my God, like we should give you a promotion based upon your wonderful note taking in all these meetings. Like people just don't notice it. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Where do you think you can meet people in New York? What do you think is the best place? Oh, man. So I really think just friends of friends, usually at house parties or like birthdays or dinners or stuff like that. That's really where I've had the most success, really meeting people that I do like and I do want to see again. And I think there's also a good kind of momentum to see them in the future, right? Like you might run into each other again. Whereas, I mean, I like have done some app dating before, but I do think the momentum is the hardest part, right? Like sometimes you have a good first date, but then you like travel because it's winter break or something. And then you come back and it's like the momentum is gone. And it's like, how do you recapture that? So especially in a place like New York, where there's always so much going on and there are friends of friends throwing things all the time. I think that is actually like my preferred method of meeting people. But I do recognize that app dating is like definitely efficient in many ways and just like the new normal of how people meet. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think apps are good. I actually have kind of a weird take, which is I don't really like I will agree to a setup with like a tangential person. I prefer to date people who are outside of my kind of immediate social circle. Really? I don't like the drama. I don't like the people in my business. I am happy to like start to share friends, but I don't, I just like to kind of do my own thing with dating. And I feel like if I'm dating my best friend's boyfriend's best friend, like there are four people in that relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I, I have not been agreeing, but you know, in New York, I've found I think is kind of a response to that apps are so mainstream. I think a few years ago, meeting somebody online felt a little like kind of sexy and dangerous and like, oh my gosh, like meeting a stranger. I know that it also can be literally dangerous, but that's (laughs) another side. But I think a few years ago, that felt very kind of exciting and dangerous and mysterious. And I think that now it's become so ubiquitous that people are... I've gotten the sense more interested in meeting in person again. Like when I've been just on walks around my neighborhood or in other neighborhoods, or I haven't had all my cooking stuff yet. And so I've gone and sat at the bar by myself to have dinner. And so many men who, I mean, maybe they're creeps. I met them for two seconds, (laughs) but who don't immediately seem creepy, who immediately seem like the kind of people who I would date have come up and started talking to me and asked for my number or my email address or something. And so I think that actually putting yourself just in a position where you can meet anybody, you know, 
a lot of people talk to me when I'm on walks in the morning, like between six and 8am. Not that I'm walking those whole two hours, just kind of whenever I, whenever I make it out. And a lot of people talk to me when I'm eating by myself or with like one other friend. And so in terms of like exactly which bars and which restaurants, I think that depends on your age and your demographic and where you want to go. But I think generally just go the places that you like, because you're probably going to like the people who like those same places. Maybe with the exception of like, if you are actually trying to meet guys, places like American Bar are so full of women. They're so like trendy on TikTok and Instagram. It's like all girls. So maybe that's, I two guys did go up to me at American Bar, but like, maybe that's not like the spot. But I think that kind of within the realm of what's normal, just like anywhere in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And of course, like sit at the bar, right? Like don't sit at a table by yourself because you need to be in a position where it's like not totally creepy to walk up to someone and be like, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing here? But yeah, I think, okay, so I think because I view my life as so like, it has to be productive all the time, doing things out of my way, like just having dinner at a bar and hoping someone might walk up to me. There's a part of me that like is screaming, oh my God, that's so inefficient. Like, what are you doing? You could be doing something else. But I do kind of like the, I don't know, leisurely attitude towards dating and like your life that it portrays in a way. And when I have traveled, and I think traveling is a rare moment where I feel like, oh, I can just sit down and I'm kind of trapped here. I have had really good conversations. Like I was at Duke once for a scholarship interview and ended up sitting at the bar by myself and having like this lovely conversation with this guy next to me because when you're traveling and you're at like a hotel bar, there's only so many people around, right? So I also really like hotel bars when you're traveling for chatting people up and meeting people. And maybe they aren't going to be like your forever partner, but I do think hotel bars are a great way to talk to a lot of people who actually are looking for people to talk to. And I want to add to that, actually, going back to the finding confidence to start dating. If you feel good about where you are in yourself, but you just are kind of in a place where you feel overwhelmed because you haven't been dating in so long and that feels kind of foreign and scary and you're scared of rejection, I actually think going to a hotel bar and kind of talking to people there might be a good, I'm like spitballing here. I just thought of it when you said that, but I think that might be a really good place to go because it is so transient. And so it's very low pressure. And like, if you start talking to somebody and they don't ask for your number, that might just be because they live in Canada. And so there's that kind of element of removing the rejection from it that might be good practice for getting your confidence back. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all about like, you know, low stakes experimentation in a lot of life, right? And I think that is a great way to do low stakes experimentation in dating and just like kind of getting the reps in. Like, I feel that way even about what posting content is like in the beginning, you can kind of get in your head about like, oh my God, this isn't going to be perfect. Like it needs to be better. But the beauty of anything in the beginning is that like you can find a low stakes environment, right? Like if you have zero followers, that's beautiful. It means you have zero followers. It means you can totally experiment. And that's like a low stakes way of doing it. And finding that analog in dating is super duper important. I think that's why I always liked. So in college, I never had 
a relationship. I was just like that person. But I had a bunch of like flings in other cities that I really enjoyed. And I think it was because I was able to be more myself with them and like more comfortable and view it as fun because they did feel lower stakes. I was like, well, I'm not in California. So like, who really cares? But in that way, I was able to like have fun with it again. Totally. That makes sense to me. Have you ever felt somebody who actually is a female lawyer in New York asked me this question? Mm. Have you ever felt like your career and your level of education has harmed you dating in New York? Okay. Just for the record, a different female lawyer asked that. I am not asking Cece if she thinks that she's too smart to have a boyfriend. So do not even start with me, please. Thank you. Yeah, actually, (laughs) I do. Okay. It's funny you mentioned this because one at 10 year reunion last weekend, My friends and I, there was a moment where like during college, we had gone to San Francisco and we were waiting in line for a club and these guys were started chatting us up and then they asked us where we went to school and we said Yale and then all of a sudden they were like, oh, and then they stopped talking to us. They just like turned around completely and stopped talking to us. And at that time I was like, this is weird. Like this is not a thing I expected to happen at all because what does it matter? But I do think it is kind of a phenomenon that does exist. I do think it happens in New York. I think it happens in San Francisco, but it's not so much like, is it the rule? I think it's just for some people, they have a lot of their own insecurities that they're dealing with. And that is how they respond to women who are really educated, like have like careers in some way. And I say this as someone whom like, I went to school with some people who actively thought that they wanted their wives to not have a career. Like they wanted their wives to support them solely. So like, this is unfortunately just like an attitude that some people have, including some like very well-educated, successful, quote unquote, objectively successful men have. But I always thought about it. Like it helps to filter out the people that you don't want, right? Like lead with this thing, like lead with the filters always, right? Because it's a lot easier and better to get their reaction out of the way now and then be like, okay, well, we don't have to see each other again, rather than five dates down the line, realize that they actually are weirdly intimidated by your success. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I don't think that anybody who doesn't want to date you because you're a lawyer is somebody who would be a good fit for you for other reasons. So I I wouldn't take it personally. I have a question, though, about something else that you said, which is that at Yale, or maybe at Harvard Law School, I don't know which one, it doesn't matter, probably both, there were men in your classes who wanted their wives not to work. Now, to me, wanting your wife not to work is very different from not caring about your wife's intelligence or level of education. And I suspect, but I'm asking you because of your experience, did these men want women who were unaccomplished or did they want women who were going to accomplish enough to prove that they could have and then were willing to give all of that up for the relationship and for their new husbands? Yeah. So it was definitely the latter, which is like kind of this weird catch 22, right? It's like, oh, you have to be accomplished enough and have your own career and ambitious enough to get to a certain level. But then I want you to give that all up. And I think there's a weird psychology in some men where they do like, like the sacrifice, the giving up is part of why they're attracted to someone. I think it's a little weird, but like, I do think it certainly exists. This fact that someone is willing to give up something that they've built for you, it probably makes them feel like very high and mighty and like very powerful. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's also just a different version of it where they kind of 
consider themselves at like a level of intelligence. And so even though they want a very traditional dynamic, they want somebody who is equally intelligent. And, you know, they have kind of a pride of authorship about their genes and their intelligence. And that's not saying like these people necessarily were because I don't I don't think most of them necessarily were from like sort of quote unquote old money families, but like that they made it to Yale. They want children who will be, if they want children who will be similarly accomplished. And I think that they probably, in a way that I think is messed up, I'm just pointing out what I is a phenomenon that I've observed is that they want somebody who sort of is going to, I don't know, kind of the brain's intelligence, the D1 babies thing on TikTok, where it's like the tall athlete men with the tall athlete women. And they're like, we've got to have D1 babies. I think that there's, there are a lot of men who want housewives, but who want, you know, Ivy babies. (laughs) Yes. Ivy babies. And that was a weird thing at Yale. They're in the, like the newspaper, they did have a lot of ads for egg donors. So you know, everyone's looking, everyone's willing to pay the big bucks. (laughs) But you've got to also make the big bucks because mean regression is very real. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) And so if you want guaranteed Yale babies, you better have guaranteed Yale admission donation money. I know. Yeah. So Steve Schwartzman, he's like the Blackstone guy. He donated so much money to Yale that they renamed the Common Center and like renovated it after him. And we all got to see it. It's beautiful. They have nap lounges. Like now you can go to this wellness center and take a nap. And I really was like, this stuff did not exist when I went there. But oh, I felt so jealous. And I was like, this is what Blackstone money gets you. Great, great. Now I know. Do you think it's fine for women to pay on dates? I do. Maybe not like the first few dates because I'm still kind of like, I don't love chivalry, but I still like to set a dynamic where we all chip in on stuff. But I do think after a while, it would make me like physically uncomfortable if the person I was seeing was like paying all the time. And I do feel like even in right now with like rent and expenses and stuff, it's a lot more 50-50. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think that men should pay on first dates in heterosexual relationships. And I think after that, it goes back to like, don't set the precedent. Like if you want to go 50-50 in your relationship, that's your thing. And if you want a man to pay for you all the time, that's also your thing. And I don't, I have like my own personal preferences, but I, I don't think that they're normative. Yeah. And to be fair, I don't think 50-50 is like, you know, you Venmo each other after every day. I think it's more of like a rough accounting of stuff. I like this with friends too, right? Where like you grab dinner one time and then they grab dinner the next or it's, I don't like the strict accounting because it makes, I don't know, it's not, not my preference, but I do like this kind of, oh, but we both chip in at some point and don't try to keep score because I think that's where relationships fall apart a lot. And this is something that me and Nathaniel have worked a lot to stop doing, which is like, stop thinking about your relationship in terms of like, I took out the trash this time, so you should do it the next time. Or like, I washed the dishes this time, you should do it the next time. And view it as more like what you can do for the other person that you are okay doing and not necessarily doing it so that you can add a notch to your side and then use that to like guilt the other person into it. Because that's like a dynamic that I think really leads to just like a bad dynamic in the future. Yeah, I think it's best to avoid sort of keeping score in your relationships. 
And I think if you find yourself keeping score, the best thing to do is to ask why and address the underlying issue that's creating that, not the scorekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And even if that issue is that you actually realize that you're paying a lot more than you think is fair, that's fine. But the keeping score is a problem saying, hey, I feel like this has gotten disproportionate and we need to kind of figure out how to even this out. That's simpler. Right. It's like an ineffective tackling of the symptoms rather than the underlying condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what is the craziest dating story you've heard of or that you've been on? I have one that I heard the other day that somebody sent me, and then I'll tell you the craziest date I've been on. Great. I actually have two crazy dates I've been on. I'll tell you the craziest (laughs) guy I went out with because he was really crazy. Like, it's actually kind of not funny. It's like red flaggy, but... Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. These are both kind of red flaggy, but they're crazy. They're real crazy. I love it. We love crazy. One was a girl that is from New York and she was home during college. So young, 19, 20, 21, 22. I don't know how old. And like kind of hit up a guy from high school because she wasn't looking to date, but she was looking to have a little hookup. Like I came over and when he finished, she like went straight to the bathroom and she was worried that he hadn't like that he'd secretly not used a condom. And she was like, let me see the condom. And then she went and he was washing it out. And then he insisted on taking it with him because he was, I guess, and he was young, but I guess he was from like a kind of an old New York family or he like thought of himself or like a family with a lot of money. And he thought that she was going to get the condom out of the trash and try and impregnate herself as like a 19 year old who also went to like a private school in New York that she was going to try and like have his baby. So that's, that's a pretty crazy, like... New York oh my God. Story. I know. And like, this is, he sounds like the type of guy who probably feels so good about himself and is like, totally thinks that he wants his wife to be accomplished too, but then also to give it all up for him. Like that is his future. I also think that like, just if, <laughs> if you're the one young heterosexual man listening to this podcast, if you have the kind of paranoid disposition where you think that a 19-year-old girl is going to take your jizz out of a rubber and get herself pregnant, there is something else wrong with you where she does not want your baby. I promise. I promise it is not a worry. I will bet you if it happens to you, I will buy you a snoo or whatever because there's something else wrong with you and I promise she is not trying to get pregnant with your baby. Yeah. Yeah. And also like maybe think about going to therapy and like working out some of these (laughs) issues in the meantime. Yeah. Okay. So what was the other one? I went out with this guy and this is actually a good like flirty first date question and maybe a good like red flag question. So I, because I found a big red flag, I asked him just kind of flirting. I was like, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? I thought he was going to tell me like about a threesome or like a weekend trip that was like very last minute or, oh, I met like Ja Rule at this club. And then we like went out. I don't know. There was a time where everybody I knew in New York, like had a night that they went out with Ja Rule. (laughs) Anyway, like I thought, I thought we were going to like get one of those stories. This man tells me, he actually was a Harvard alum. He tells me that his senior spring, he had this girlfriend and they were rehearsing for some, he did, he was into some like 
acapella or improv or like one act, I don't know, some kind of like theater-esque thing that I didn't know about. And before some performance or some like big ceremonial day at the end of the year, she made him really angry in front of all the other people in this like troupe. And he got so angry that he punched out four of the windows in the historic building where they were practicing and he had to pay to replace them or his parents, what I don't know how he paid for it. And his family did. And it was really, really expensive because it wasn't normal glass. Like, I mean, it was normal glass, but it was like the historic, like you can't just order the panes on homedepot.com. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're legitimately crazy. And have a lot of anger issues. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Having yeah. that much anger is crazy. Yeah, that's not good. Oh, I suppose at least he knew it was crazy. He had a lot of anger issues. You could you could tell even beyond that. But like the fact that he was like, I will answer your question with this story does go to show his view of himself in some way where he's like, oh, she won't see this as a red flag because that's like he had to have told you. But there's something weird about the fact that he didn't see it as a red flag to tell that story. That is not a red flag. That is a stoplight. Yeah. Anyway, what's your craziest dating story? (laughs) Okay, so I think my craziest dating story, I was going out with this guy. He was at Hedge Fund. So like a lot of issues where like he set out after college to just make like fuck you money. And then he did. And then he, you know, lived in New York and I met him I went to his apartment once and it was just like empty. Like there was no furniture in the living room. His mattress was on the ground. And I remember for like a fleeting moment thinking to myself, oh my God, is, am I going to die? Like, is this how I die? Because going to an apartment that has no living room is weird. I mean, I'm sorry. I know your apartment right now has no living room. No, but I would warn you. I would be like, oh, my couch comes tomorrow. My couch comes tomorrow. Yeah. I also probably would just be like, I don't have a couch. So like, we're not going to my apartment. Right, right. I think some sort of like warning would have been good or some sort of like explanation or just being like, oh, let's not go to my place. But I feel like walking into it cold, I was like, oh my God, is this all a lie? Especially someone who I know like made a lot of money. So I was like, can't you Ikea couch? I have an Ikea couch. It's fine. No couch is a little, it's a little serial killery. Yeah, that's a red flag to me. And also, like, I understand you don't want to lead with your flaws. You don't want to warn people too much. I think that's good advice. But there are some things that you should warn people about. Right, right. Like, if you have, I mean, so an example that's not a red flag, don't bring somebody to your home with an animal without telling them that there's an animal there. Oh, yeah. So the same for not having any belongings at all. Don't tell the, like, if they're going to, like, an empty Dexter cave, you need to warn them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just being considerate, man. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening this week. We hope you enjoy these stories. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to send in your questions for our advice episode next week. Yes, thank you. And we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>